And now, direct from the Ducks Bar, <laughs> out at Blue Collarville, broadcasting through Blue Collar Media on podcast and live stream. It's time for the Ducks Shed Podcast. Yeah, all the boys need a shed. Yes, g'day and welcome to the latest edition of the Duck Shed Podcast. We have a couple of tech dramas there, so apologies for being a bit late. And we are broadcasting through Blue Collar Media on podcast and live stream from my actual bar out here in Blue Collarville. Now, as you know by now, in light of us all currently doing the staying at home thing, I have turned my Friday night shed sessions with mates into a podcast and video so you can get a taste of what we get up to out here in the shed. To put it simply, I've just invited everybody who wants to watch uh, to simply just join in. Look, there have been plenty of stories and, and porkies told around this little bar and for the short time at least we are just now getting together on the phone. You too can be a part of what we're up to just by commenting on the video or simply just send an email. Go to bluecollarmedia.com.au, click on the contact to do that and we certainly do enjoy the feedback here and we respond to all of those emails as well. Now this week we'll catch up with radio broadcaster and my good mate Ray Hadley. Now my relationship with Ray started uh, as work colleagues and then as workmates and then now with these days we're a lot more than just mates. I regard him as a staunch family friend and he's uh, not only supported me through the years but my family as a whole. Uh, he has supported my kids through their endeavours and has been fiercely loyal to my family and uh, all through all of our ups and downs and everybody here, we've actually all got his number in the phone just in case we need him. Now, personally, he taught me everything there is to know on and off air about radio, and if it weren't for Ray, there would certainly be no camping and off-road radio show that many people listen to, and of course, podcasts that we do, including this actual Shed podcast. Now, look, I get asked by many people, including mates that I've had for years, uh, or just people I meet in my travels, three things. You know, how did you get this, this radio caper? How did you get the nickname Duck? And how did you become mates with Ray Hadley? Well, I've got to tell you, it all started here. At some point, the continuous call team were going to run out of funny bits. Welcome to that moment. Think you have the greatest shed? Well, now it's time to prove it. On the continuous call team, it's the Great Aussie Shed Competition. Thanks to Fair Dinkum Sheds. Always competitive. Now, live from a shed near you, here's Duck Creek. This is the highlight of my day, Big Martin. Where are you at, Duck? Well, I'm out here at Duck Creek Central at the moment, uh, just preparing for this segment. Why you been preparing all day for this segment? <laughs> so, so, Ducky, there, there's a rod on. There is a bit of a rod yeah, on, good of on course. On, and good. Uh, obviously, I'll be looking for one myself. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, is the is the power? And are you going to have? Have you got an electrician? It's a mate. Yes, I will be doing. I will be arranging one of those. Duck's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, got everything covered. Yeah, yeah. yeah Duck's got this big circle of friends. They're all trade, tradies. So he gets a mate who's got a shed, feeding him sheds. He gets a mate who's on concrete, and now yeah. you found an electrician. Yes. What about the gun? Cutters and Eve, we need a bit of plumbing done, Duck. Yes, the great Duck Creek. He's on the line right now. Right, I'm at the unofficial rugby league headquarters in Big Man Country down at Carring Bar. Great bar, pinball machine, snooker table, online betting, Sky TV. Duck, are you hoping to be compensated in any way, shape or form? Has it been improvement on the current situation, Ray? Well, you volunteered for it, Duck, and that's where you find yourself today. <laughs> we got him at Goulburn, too. Very nice down here too in Galvin. Oh, no, the duck's just weaving a bit of his magic ray. This is one of the best sheds that I have seen. <laughs> you say that every week. <laughs> oh, you'd be very happy to know, Bozo. We're up at North Manly this afternoon. One of the best sheds that I have seen. 
Mate, it's a very unique shed. He's actually Colin uh, Lisney, his name. is like Disney with an L. Yeah, yeah Lisney. Oh, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're not that bright. But I mean, we... Does he call his place Lisneyland? <laughs> <laughs> So this shed was actually built by Colin Sanzine and Michael. They own a company. I'll give it a little plug. Lisney Constructions. <laughs> <laughs> we are out at Scotty's Retreat. It's a Manliathon out here at Belmore, right? One of the best sheds that I've seen. Say good day, boys. <laughs> Jesus, a crowd. Do they know that you're a complete Neville? You... Well, that's right. I certainly am a complete Neville, and... Uh, I've got to say, Ray, nothing much has changed. We've gone full circle, mate. You're talking to me in a shed again. Unbelievable. You've got your own tonight show. You like Graham Kennedy and Don Lane all rolled into one. How, how good is it? You like it? <laughs> mate, it's unbelievable. Anyway, but, yeah, we're just kicking back in the shed. This is what we do on Friday nights in isolation, mate. I've got a comment before we get into it. The beard. What about the beard? What's happening? Well, I've never really had in my 65 years a proper beard. I've... I've gone unshaven a few times for a couple of weeks, but I decided, given that, you know, I'm in isolation, I present my show from just around the corner where I'm sitting at the moment and I don't get out of here much. <laughs> it's pretty much life as normal, really. And uh, I thought I just wouldn't have a shave uh, until the virus is either gone or conquered um, or under control. So I just grew it and the kids are giving it to me. Dan's got a fantastic beard, my eldest uh, son, or my only son, but he's... Uh, Second eldest in the family, eldest in the family, I should say. And uh, she's hope they're not seeing this. I forgot ages and things like that. That's Daniel, Laura, Emma, Sarah. Yeah, I got that right. Anyway, so he's he's a really hairy. He looks a bit like an orangutan, actually, with his shirt off. But mm. I didn't uh, I didn't pass that to him. So uh, my beard struggles. His beard sort of uh, well kept and groomed, and I've just let mine go. And uh, basically, duck. I've given up on life. That's the best way I can describe it at the moment. I just don't care. Yeah, no, fair enough. In fact, if you do know, if the radio gig doesn't work out, mate, you could always get a job as the lead in Castaway too. You just take the um, take a golf ball instead of a soccer ball. Call it Willie instead of well, what was the other one? I'm Willis. About, I might, if Lowie still owned Westfield, I think about ringing one of them and and see if I could get a job as Santa in the Christmas break if it gets any better. <laughs> but it's very grey, as you've noticed. Mm. Um, so yeah. Anyway, Duck, I can't believe you got your own TV show and probably anyone watching can't believe it. <laughs> no, can I? Who can I? Anyway, but, mate, I'm sure there's three people and a dog watching somewhere, mate, so it's all pretty good. How are you going with the isolation? It's pretty big, isn't it? Uh, well, look, it's, I'm much better than anyone else, you know. Um, I've got on, I'm on acreage so I can move around a bit and, and walk around a bit and, um, you know, you can still get a takeaway coffee up the road at Round Corner and, uh, Sophie and I uh, decided that we need a bit of exercise, me more than her. So we go up to um, Fagan Park at Galston and have a bit of a walk around there. And we've been joined by my youngest daughter, Sarah, on a couple of occasions. And she's into a fitness uh, mode at the moment. So she punishes me by walking faster than I really want to. So, um, yeah, so it's, it's okay. I mean, <laughs> the funniest part, I normally get up at quarter past three to go into the studio to do the show and get into work about, I suppose, half past four or thereabouts. I get an hour's extra sleep. I wake up at quarter past four, have a shower, and walk down the hall about 20 metres to the studio in the uh, front of uh, my home here. And then um, the other bonus is when I finish at the pips at 12, uh, we have a quick meeting, and then it's all over. I'm home already instead of another hour drive back home. So uh, Sophie tells me I'm saving uh, stacks of money on tolls because I'm not going down the M2, the Lane Cove Tunnel, and uh, the Harbour Bridge. 
So uh, there are, you know, there are benefits, but obviously we'd all like things to be back to normal. You know, you'd like to go out for a feed sometime, you know, go out to the pub and see your friends and, you know, have a have a sort of barbecue with other members of the family. I think the thing I'm missing most are my grandchildren. I've got Ava up uh, on the central coast, my little two-year-old granddaughter, and uh, little Noah, who's about to turn one. He's just up the road. But, you know, I, I've got to be careful because, you know, I, I don't want them catching coronavirus. So, you know, I just sort of... Um, sticking around home and missing the grandkids. I just FaceTimed them a little while ago and uh, had about five minutes with Ava and uh, Noah doesn't know what's going on quite yet with FaceTime, so he just looks at me like, who's this space cadet um, on the other end of the phone? So, yeah, it's... it's Look, and some people are dread, dreadfully worse off than me. I mean, imagine having someone passing at the moment and you can only have ten people. Like Norma Elias died through the week, Benny Elias, his father, and... Uh, Mitchell Moses' grandfather, and I mean, there are seven children, 23 grandchildren, God knows how many great-grandchildren from the Elias family, and they couldn't, um, they couldn't attend the funeral. So those things, and uh, people in nursing homes, you can't go and see them. It's, it's rather sad, but we'll come out of it, and I think we'll be a stronger place once we're through the coronavirus. I hope so, anyway. Yeah, well, I've got to agree, mate. It's been different times. You've got to feel for, sorry for them people, like you say, with the funerals especially. Mate, it's pretty hard. Mm. But this has affected you too because, I mean, you got the big wedding. You had the wedding ready to go and then you had to uh, postpone it. Well, it's been put back uh, from June to September 19 and then Sophie, she's on the drink somewhere, by the way. If she doesn't come in the middle of this, she's down the road uh, having a quiet drink with one of her girlfriends. Um and there's only two of them there, so God only knows how many bottles of Chardonnay they're going to get through. But um, she told me today that we were back to September 19. Now she's made another provisional date sometime in November, uh, I believe, which is handy for me because my other two marriages were both in November, so now I'll get really confused about which date's which over the course of this marriage. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't want to be, yeah, exactly right. You don't want to be sending flowers on the wrong date, mate. <laughs> no, just no, I'm, gonna, just I'm sure you want a particular case there won't be any flowers. <laughs> <laughs> what about how is Paul safe handling it? Because mate, now because you're all in lockdown, we're all staying home. I know. I mean, I mean, we're under a fair bit of pressure here, mate. Just me and Blackie, as you know. But um, Sophie's getting to know the real you because she's with you twenty four seven, basically. <laughs> I didn't think I'd, I'd get to the line in either June or September or November. I think she keeps pushing it back with a view to you know she might bail out on me sometime in the foreseeable future because you know she. She gets up and we've got other people here, works, you know, a couple of other staff come here, an engineer and, and Bravo, my executive producer here, she cooks them all breakfast and then um, she goes up to the shed to a gym like our own gym on the property here and works out for an hour or so, then she comes back down. And, um, then, yeah, you're right, after work I then go for walks with her and, yeah, I think she's just about sick of me, Doctor. Tell you the truth. Well, right. <laughs> oh, she's on the. That's deck. why she's down the road drinking shots <laughs> yeah, at the exactly. moment with the girlfriend. Yeah, exactly right. No, poor old Blackie's the same. <laughs> mate, she just, uh, yeah, she just can't wait for it to be over. But anyway, as you know, Ray, we've been hard at it here for a few years, and I'm a bit of a punish as it is at the best of times, mate. Yeah, uh, I don't think, uh, with all due respect to you and Blackie, I don't think the coronavirus has much, much, much difference to her in relation to you. Mm. You're a pain in the ass to start with. Or <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. That's what she keeps telling me anyway. She's sitting on the other side yeah. of the bar. She'll be going to get me a drink in a minute. Anyway. Hey, listen, what's, what's going on with the trifle, by the way, uh, from Blackie's mum? Is oh, it, from is Mary. Is yeah. doing there? Yeah, I no. haven't had one for about 18 months. Yeah, I know, and it's a bit of a worry because, you know, I mean, they're a bit elderly, so they're obviously staying home full on and uh, you can't mm. go down and see them, so we're FaceTiming them 
and doing all that, and um, as you do on Skype and Zoom. I'd never heard of Zoom. Are you across this Zoom thing? <laughs> I mean, well, I, I walked in last Friday a week ago, and and Sophie was in the office, and I I thought she was in there walk, working, and I, I walked up behind her, and I saw about eight images, all females, mm. and I said, "What's going on here?" She said, "We're having a drink." <laughs> I said, "What?" She said, we're having a virtual drink. I said, that doesn't look virtual to me. It looks like a glass of shardy in front of you. Yeah. So I said, how have you got all those heads there? And the girl's saying, hey, Ray, how are you going? Yeah, good, thanks, love. Everything's fine, yeah. So it's a Zoom caper. And yeah. one of the girls is on Zoom, and then she invites all the other people to join her on Zoom at a pre-designated time. So, yeah, they're into it. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. I know everyone's having these Zoom meetings. I reckon what will happen is once we get through all this, I mean, the old office space, I mean, it could be uh, pretty empty because people are used to working from home now. I mean, why pay rent? We can just work from home. I was, it's funny, I, I, when I rang Ava or FaceTime Ava, I was talking to my daughter who's obviously working from home. She works in the health industry, so she's flat strapped. And um, I spoke to a couple of blokes today about it. And um, I, I think that there's going to be an opportunity for people to have, you know, one or two days in the office and the rest of the time at home because I, from what I can see, particularly in our area, everyone's being as productive as they are normally, in some cases more productive, mm. and uh, it saves all the travel time and people can start earlier, finish later without the travel. And I think, you know, I wouldn't uh, put it out of the realms of possibility that sometime down the track that, um, you know, office space will be not as valuable as it is today because I'm sure when this is all through the pandemic's over... Um, you know, people want to get back to the office, obviously, to, you know, because you've got still got to connect with people and, you know, spend some time there. But I wouldn't be surprised if the, the bosses say, well, look, we can have meetings with Zoom. We can have meetings like we're having a discussion now on um, FaceTime. So, yeah, I, I think it, it might change. I, I think things might change. And I know from my point of view, I'd be happy to do my program from home a couple of days a week, and mm. Monday and a Friday, and go to the office Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That'll be determined by our bosses, whether they, you know, they might like me being out of the office. I don't know. <laughs> they, <laughs> might, they might think it's a really good idea for James Hadley et al. to yeah. stay at home. So we'll see what happens when it's all over. Yeah, well, in your case, mate, it's closer to the golf club. <laughs> well, that's improved the tee off time. I can get there at 12.20 now, not 12.45 or 12.50. So that's yeah. that's a bonus, particularly coming into the winter months when it gets darker earlier. But um, And that, that's, you know, look, people are, you know, cranky about, golf being on and racing being on. But, I mean, if people behave themselves and do things properly, and, like, today, I mean, I heard Bob Carr talking on radio about a fortnight ago saying, oh, it's terrible, open the beaches, people will respond, they'll, do, you know, open open Maroubra, open them, get the Coogee, let's get them open. Well, they opened them and they closed them on the same day. Mm, now people I'm... wouldn't behave. I mean, you're supposed to go there for a swim, get in the water, have a swim and get out and go home. They were sunbaking, they were blueing with the coppers and carrying on. And so, result, beaches closed. Um, you know, golf, on the other hand, um, uh, where I play golf, it's one person per cart, if you drive a cart. It's, um, you know, two in a group, not four in a group. And, uh, you know, you score your own card, the flags are stuck in, so they can't be removed. There are no rakes in bunkers and a whole range of other things happen. And uh, golf clubs are doing it quite successfully. And people have got to remember, even though they're for a job keeper, there's thousands and thousands of people, tens of thousands of people employed in golf courses, whether they're um, people that may be 
um, you know, ground staff or in the office or in the pro shop. So I think it's good that they've kept it happen. And there's the announcement earlier tonight, if you haven't caught up with it, rugby league's definitely proceeding. They say agreement's been reached by Nine and Fox on the 28th of May, as long as the health officials and Anastasia Palaszczuk tick off on it. So uh, that'll also, you know, give people something to watch over the course of the weekend, which is good. Yeah, now I'm being told, Ray, we're having some audio dramas, so it's a bit low, so we're trying to fix that here. This is what happens, mate. You know all about it when we're doing things live, and I'm not sure what the, what the problem is, but I've got Courtney and me, mate, Sean Walker on the job, mate, so we'll try and fix that well, up as we go. Well, Doug, let, let's figure this out. Yep. Am I low or are you low? No, I think the whole thing's low. I'm not real sure, but um, anyway, there's people working on it now to try and fix that, so apologies for that. So um, hopefully if they turn their things up, they might be able to get it, but I've got it turned up maximum here, so I can only... Uh, Hope that it might be just some sort of a setting, but anyway, I've got Courtney running here. You know, poor old Courtney's like, mate, and uh, we'd be absolutely buggered here without her. So uh, she's trying no, to fix that. Here well, she comes like now. A lot of young people, Courtney. She knows a lot about computers, knows a lot about how things work. Yeah, well, and she's gonna... uh, well, she certainly knows a lot more than you and I know about it, Courtney. So she's a little bottler. Yeah. And uh, old mate Sean, oh, he's doing his best as well. So yeah. look, it may be a blessing in disguise if you can't hear us. Is it? We can also hear each other. Switches off so you can't see us, and that would be a really good podcast. Yeah, that's it, mate. So, Courtney, come around. You want to try and fix this up while we're on the run here? Do you know what we're doing? Uh, not really. <laughs> okay, so we've got Sean logging in here, come mate, on, to fix it. We've got Sean logging in to fix that, and I can see him doing that while we're talking. We'll keep going anyway, so because we're obviously recording the podcast as well, so we'll keep it all happening, mate. So, mate, let's talk about your radio career, mate. You've had a bloody... Can you believe it? Can you believe when you... Think right back when you started. Can you believe where you are now, really? No, not really. Sort of. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a race caller, straight sports commentator, but really a race caller, and that's where I started. Um, I tried to get a job as a you know trainee race caller, but <laughs> there aren't many ads in the Sydney Morning Herald back in the 1970s for trainee race callers. So I saw a job one day for a trainee auctioneer, and I I thought I'll have a crack at that. So I worked for a part company called Pitsale and Badgery, and then for an old auctioneer who's now passed, Bob Steer. In fact, both my old bosses are passed. Ron Bockler passed away earlier this year, and uh, Bob went some time ago. And I had this burning ambition to still be a race caller. So uh, about 78, 79, I thought, oh, I'm going to give this away, this auctioneering. I'm going to have a crack at, you know, trying to get a job calling races somewhere. So I, I packed it in, uh, lost a company car, lost my wage. And uh, after about three months, having not had any success getting a job as a race caller, I thought, am I going to feed myself? Uh, my dad had died back in 75. So I, um, I got a taxi licence and started driving cabs because it was the only way I could, you know, sort of try and get a job calling races. And then I got a job at Appen, out past Campbelltown, calling 15 races. First race, uh, about quarter to one. Last race, quarter to five. I got $38 for calling 15 races. And um, I used to go out there every Saturday. I'd drive the cab on Friday night and then drive out there in the cab, take the cab out to uh, Appen to, to call the uh, dogs. And I was there for about, oh, I suppose, six to eight months. And I said to the, the boss, there's an old bloke called Jock McDonald. He was really old then. He's passed now. I said, hey, hey Jock, I said, any chance of a, a pay rise, you know, any chance of upping the ante from $38? He said, well, how much do you want? I said, what about $45? He said, well, you must be travelling all right. I said, why is that? He said, well, you turn up in the cab every week. You must have plenty of money by, you know, getting the cab out here. I said, no, Jock, I'm driving the cab. Don't worry about me paying fares. So he gave me the $45 and I 
stayed out there and the cab led me to where I am today and, and people sling off about cab drivers and, you know, a lot of doctors are cab drivers to start with while they're studying and I was driving the cab on Thursday, Friday and, and Saturday nights and the owner of the cab, John, said to me one Tuesday night, he said, listen, do you want to have a crack on a Tuesday night driving the cab? And I said, oh, well, look, you know, there's no money to be made on Tuesday night, John. He said, well, look, just take the cab, you just put the LPG in it and you won't need to, you know, give me any money for the cab. I said, sweet. So I drove the cab. I got a fare from Parramatta to the city, I think, and then I went up a North Sydney rank and I worked North Sydney rank for a couple of hours and then about 9 o'clock there was a call, what they call point car the rank, uh, first cab on the rank. So I took the job and it was a bloke called Mark Collier who used to direct UUE. It was about 1980, I suspect, and uh, I went and picked him up, took him to North Ride and uh, on the way there he, he, uh, he said, are you at university or something, eh? And I said, no, I'm not at uni, I'm... Mm. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a race caller. Yep. He said, you're a race caller? I said, yeah. And he said, and you're driving a cab on a Tuesday night? I said, yeah. He said, you can't be very good then. All right. What we're going to do, Ray, we've got a bit of a drama with the internet. We're just going to have to take a bit of a break here and then drop the stream and come back to it because we're having heaps of drama with the audio and the uh, the audio as well now. Give, give, you got a sec, mate? Get, just uh, give us a minute. Well, I'm not going anywhere. Yeah, I know you're not. I know. I know. Anyway, um, actually, I've just got a message from Bravo. Audio much better, mate. So I'm not sure now if it's uh, if it's working. But um, I was. I know we'd keep well, going. No, he, he yeah. works for me. So if the audio's crook, he'd tell you. If it's good, he'll tell you as well. Yeah, I just got a message from our mate Coxie. You remember him, Darren Cox? Good show, mate. I mean, how many do you reckon he's had by now? Coxie. <laughs> oh, Coxie'd be somewhere out there at Windsor, wouldn't he? Uh, yeah. He'd be in one of those pubs along George Street, is it? Yeah, yeah. No, um, I think he goes to the north, the north, though, they call it. The, he goes to the uh, – he hits the north, though, out there at North Richmond a fair bit. Oh, he's gone west, has he? Mm, yeah, gone that's further it. further out. Yeah, so yeah, that's uh, – uh, He's a good He's a good bloke. Um, he's a real good bloke, actually, and he's been a good mate to my young bloke and uh, a real good fella, yeah. a real good fella. But – he does love a drink. He could kill for a schooner. Oh, yeah. that. He doesn't mind starting early either, just quietly. Eh? He gets in there pretty early for the early no, I, I think he might think he gets dearer after dark because mm. he. Have <laughs> 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 uh, we still got drama, Courtney? I think. Well, we, uh, hang on. This is, it's live. It's live. Whatever it is. What is yeah. it? It's not radio. It's yeah. Whatever it is. We're live streaming. Yeah. Bravo. Uh, <laughs> text duck. And let him know how the audio is. That's the best way to sort it out. He's he's out there in uh, northwestern outskirts of Sydney, so he wouldn't have the NBN or anything out there. See if it's working out there. If it's working for him, it's working for everyone. No, exactly. I was but playing yeah. up a bit. Well, just what we'll mm -hmm. do, we'll quickly break it and then we'll come back because you know, it's obviously yep. not working real good. Sorry, mate. It only happened because you came on. Anyway, we'll give it a second. Whack up. <laughs> Harvey and Kevin Bloody Wilson didn't have these problems. No, we didn't have that drama then, but I think it's an internet problem and it's because everyone's on Netflix out in this area at the minute. So we'll just oh. quickly break it and we'll flick over to our mobile router and see what we can do. Hang on a sec, mate. But um, I've just got another message from um, Bravo, I think. What's he saying? Uh, he just said, no, it's an old one, so he sent. So we'll just give it a second and we'll, uh, and we'll do that. Hang on a sec, mate. Okay. Okay, Ray, we're live again. Can you hear me, mate? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Sorry about that, mate. What a nightmare. I think it's the internet. That's what we think it is. So we're back. So hopefully uh, people will tell us. Bravo told me that it was 
Shizen housing to start with, but it's good now. He told me he just sent me a text. Yeah, right. Yeah, sorry, mate. It only, you, know, you know what? It only happened because you're on it. <laughs> and like you said, it worked all right with Harvey. This weekend will be going all right. Yeah, exactly right, mate. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's a lot of people doing a lot worse than what we are here with a bit of internet drama. So anyway, we're back. So mate, you spoke about how you were driving the cab. We'll try and get back into it, and you yeah. and you did it, and then you 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 picked up Mark Collie and you got the job at UE. But you were working with one of the greats. I remember when I was a young bloke going down to stay at me nan's place on school holidays, like everyone used to do, and she'd have Gary O'Callaghan going in the morning, every morning. He was a legend, and then you started to work with him. Well, yeah, so after I dropped Mark Collier off, I drove him mad because, you know, he had a shot at me about being an ordinary race caller, saying I was driving cabs on a Tuesday night, and I drove him cooking. And you've got to remember, this is before mobile phones and the internet, and, you know, you had to have a, a proper phone to talk to people. So um, I drove him cooking, then one day he said, come in and talk to me. He said, you're still driving the cabs. I thought he was going to give me a job as a race caller with Des Hoisted and uh, the boys. And he said, no, I need a traffic reporter. You'll be the bloke to do it. So... Um, I got on a helicopter with uh, and did Gary O'Callaghan's traffic for about three years. And then finally, um, about 82, probably end of 82, um, they said to me, you call races, don't you? And I said, yeah. And they said, we want you to go to the races of Death's Hoisted and, and help him out, um, you know, do the totes and do things to leave him just to call races. So I did that. Then Des retired and John Tapp came over. And he came over about 83, and I worked with him for about 12 months. And I was practising. I was still calling races, and I started calling the trots at Harold Park. And then one day, 7th of January 1984, he, he said to me when we walked in the course, he said, how do you think you're going with the race calling? I said, oh, I'm getting better. Yeah, I'm getting better. He said, good, you're doing the first race. And I did the first race, one by an apprentice called Darren Beedman on a really good horse called Street Cafe, and by the Inghams and trained, I think, by Theo Green, the late Theo Green. And then I kept calling the races. I kept calling the trots at Harold Park and uh, doing the dogs occasionally. And then uh, 86, end of 86, TUE looking for a football commentator. I went and saw John Tapp and I said, they want me to call the football. What do you think? And he said, mate, look, and this is before Sky Channel and all the things that happen now. He said, look, there's only going to be one radio station calling the races. Soon that'll be 2KY. GB won't do it. UE won't do it. So why don't you have a crack at the footy? So I did. Um, anyway, John Brennan came and saw me, the boss of sport at the time. He said, you want to have a crack at this football next year? This is about December 86. And I said, oh, yeah. I was getting about $19,000 a year. And I said, how much money to call the football? He said, oh, well, 60000 sound all right? I said, oh. He said, 60000 <laughs> I said, look, I'll have to think about it. And he said, don't think about it too long, son. It's about three times what you're getting. I said, actually, four times what I'm getting. Okay, I'll do it. So... I started calling the football in uh, February of 1987 and I've done it up until this very day where I don't call much football anymore, but um, call a little bit. I'll call the Origins if they occur this year and the Grand mm. Final if it occurs and uh, do a bit of poking around for our owners, Channel 9, do a bit of TV calling as well. But it's it's more a, a bit of fun these days. It's a diversion from what I do Monday to Friday calling for you. It's, you know... It's not serious. It's uh, you know, it's just fun. I, I still like doing it. I still think I can do it. Yeah. So I'll keep doing it. And probably when I retire from talkback, which is probably going to be sooner rather than later, mm. I'll, I'll still call a bit of footy and call a bit of sport because that was where I started. That's a real passion of mine. And what I've been doing for about the last 25 years with talkback started off in, well, actually 28 years, 92. I started filling in for Lawsy. 
and I did that right up until I left. Uh, well, I didn't leave to you. I got the sack. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you didn't uh, tell them that over. He didn't tell them at GB, did you? You got the sack. You just. <laughs> no, nah, what happened? Um, they had a new owner at Southern Cross, and there was a bloke called Tony Bell. Mm. And he got me into the boardroom one day, and he said, uh, "You've been here for 19 years." I said, "Yeah." He said, "You know a lot about the place." I said, "Yeah, I do actually." He said, uh, "Who would you sign first, Laws or Jones?" I said, "Oh, that's pretty easy. I'd sign Jones first. He said, "Why would you do that?" I said, "Well, breakfast is the most important shift, and you've got to have a really solid platform. And Lawsy, you know, he'll follow on from Jones and dominate like he has for the last thirty years. So, but Jones is pivotal. I'd get Jones." So he said, "Okay, good. Thanks for that." So he signed Lawsy the next day. <laughs> out of the loop. So he didn't take my advice, obviously. Then he came and. I was getting reasonable money at the time, and he said, oh, we're going to cut your wage in half. And I said, why is that? He said, well, I think you're an adequate sports commentator, but I don't think you'll be filling in for John Laws anymore. We've got other people in mind. I said, well, I said, I don't accept that. I said, uh, I'll leave. And they said, no, no, you, you, you know, you got a contract. I said, well, I'll see out the contract till the end of the year, then I'll leave. And then there was a bit of toing and froing. There's a bloke there called David Bacon. He, they had to shut the windows of his office. He was that lightweight. He'd get blown out the window. Anyway, he... Uh, he started sending me faxes demanding I, you know, I honour my contract and, and I, I, I kept working, obviously. And then I walked in one day and they cleaned out my office, put it in a box and said, you're finished. So I said, OK. So I came home and I had four small children at the time and told the, uh, my former wife that I didn't have a job. And then Singo had, had had the rights to the football for the previous two years and we used to bash them up on the continuous call team without the football. So... He'd offered me a job a couple of times, so I, I rang him and I said, is that job still available to call football over there? And he said, well, he said, yes. He said, why Why now? And I said, well, I just think it's time for a move. And he said, well, you got the sack, didn't you? And I said, yeah, I did actually. So he said, oh, come over and talk to me. So I went and talked to him and I signed a contract the next day. And that would have been oh, probably October, November of 2001. And then he said to me uh, in December, he said, well, everyone's going on holidays. He said, why don't you come here and do breakfast for me from Christmas Eve until we possibly sign Alan Jones? Because they hadn't signed Jones at this stage. And I said, oh, yeah, I'll do that. So I did breakfast from Christmas Eve till about March or April. And then Jonesy came over and uh, obviously did breakfast. And uh, Singo said to me, look, we haven't got anyone to do mornings. Why don't you do mornings? And I said, oh, I don't know about that. Anyway, then he made me another offer, which I couldn't refuse. So I said, OK, I'll have a crack at mornings. And he said, who's going to call the football? I said, me. He said, are you going to call the football and do the mornings? I said, well, because I will. I said, I brought Fralingos and Bozo and Blocker over with me. I can't just leave them posted. So for the next 10 years, from 2002 to 2012, I worked seven days a week. Uh, did the morning show, and we started to win the ratings in 2013. And as of now, uh, you know, um, all these years later, um, 2003, I'm sorry, 2003, we started to win the ratings and all these years later, 18 years later, we're still number one with an 18.8% share at the last survey. So, And uh, I kept doing the football for 10 years and then I started to ease off a bit and then over the last couple of years, I've eased right off and then Bozo and I retired at the start of this year from the continuous call team. We'd been there for, you know, I'd been there for 33 years, Bob had been there for 31, so we figured it was time to move on and the young blokes are taking over and doing a really good job. Yeah, they certainly are doing that, mate. I've got to, I've got to admit, from a personal level, I mean, it was someone who used to sit at home and listen to it and then to end up working with you on it and uh, and and so we did some pretty good stuff. I mean, the, the tours where we took out, you know, we went out to the country footy 
and, uh, mm-hmm. and took took the show on the road, which was pretty popular, and we did all that. And I've got some audio here, mate, if you want me to run it. I remember back when we when you got to 30 years of the continuous call center, which was a fairly long time uh, yeah. for it to be at number one, and we, we had a big function, if you remember, we had, I think it was at Castle RSL, and we, yep. put, we put together a bit of an audio package. So for people who haven't heard it, and just to relive a couple of memories, I've, I can run that for you now if you want. Here we go. And now- Oh, I might hit the right button here. That'll help. Here we go. The year was 1987. The 80th season of professional rugby league football in Australia. 13 teams competed for the New South Wales Rugby League Premiership with Bob Fulton's Manly Warringah Sea Eagles triumphant in the grand final over the Canberra Raiders. 1987 also saw the rise of another team. A team that has dominated for 30 years straight. Ray Hadley and the continuous Cole team. Straight through, he went past them, he's going to score! 30 years of classic calls. Through the dummy, inside ball of Meninga, big Mal said ta-da, and went straight under the post. Goes a try! Oh, Michael O'Connor, when you stand up Gary Jack like that, you know you're a great player. 30 years of tries. What a magnificent try! That's one of the great rugby league tries. Has he grabbed the victory from the jaws of defeat? They've set a try. From the dead ball line to the goal line. This is a remarkable try. 30 years of origin battles. They won't stop the Queensland captain. That's a great try. That is a great Blues try. They're under the post. Here come the Blues. 30 years of grand final greatness. Field goal from 20 out. Pots it between the both. North Queensland win the grand final. And 30 years of this. A man, Chuck Fulton, is down on the touchline. Chuck, you know, Ray, you know, I was a bank teller once in Kentucky. I was involved in this bank robbery. And what do you reckon the robber said to me? What did he say? He said, stick him up, Chuck. Wayne Brain was a police officer. You know what would have happened if he married Claudia Schiffer? No. Um, She would have been Claudia Schiffer Brain. You like that one? Uh, oh, mate, pretty good times, mate, weren't they? No. <laughs> Claudia, shoot your brains. But you I actually... <laughs> I tried to add up the other day how many games of rugby league I've called and I got to about 2,500 and got tired yeah. thinking about it. But, geez, it's been... Uh, I mean, there's a photo just across from where I'm sitting now of uh, me in a dinner suit of the Rothmans medal with the, the man that called 33 grand finals, Frank Hyde. I've got the 29... And he retired when he got to 33. I don't think anyone should ever eclipse his record. And uh, it's one of my favourite pieces of uh, memorabilia. It's Frank and I in dinner suits at the Rothmans Medal. And uh, he had a big influence on my career as a listener to start with. Uh, I listened to Tiger Black and Cole Pearson and Frank Hyde when I was a young bloke. And then to actually work with uh, Cole and Frank when I was uh, first in broadcasting. And that, that's, uh, that's how I got to call Rugby League, actually. In 85 and 86, maybe 86 it was, uh, Colin Frank went to New Zealand for a tour to call matches between Australia and New Zealand. And I think I possibly called a couple of matches at Cogra Oval while they were away. And, and 
I think someone said uh, to management, he sounds like a race caller. And management said that to me. I said, that's because I'm a race caller. I said, I'll have to learn how to be a rugby league caller. And I, I probably took me a few years to hone those skills. And and uh, if you can call the races like Ray Warren did and I used to, you can call it any sporting event. And, of course, I've been to those Olympic Games starting in 92 Barcelona, uh, 96 Atlanta, 2000 Sydney, 2004, 2008, 2012, uh, six in total. And uh, being able to call back in the year 2000 was probably my favourite because, I mean, I could sleep in my own bed and go down to the aquatic centre at Homebush or the track and field at Homebush at Olympic Park and, you know, call those great events and then come back and sleep in my own bed. Like when you go away to other countries, you stay in, you know, motel, hostel accommodation and it's not normally like being at home and you work long hours, late nights. You've always got to get buses home and buses there the next day and it's a really draining exercise. So Sydney was really fantastic. And when you reflect back on it and you think about the number of broadcasters who've actually been able to call the Olympics in their home city, you've got to go back to Melbourne in 56 and broadcasters could call in their home city there and Sydney, of course, in 2000. And I was just fortunate enough to be sort of in my prime as a broadcaster, a sports broadcaster, so I was a lead commentator for the track and field and the swimming, and, and it's a great memory, really, really great memory. So I've, I've had a fantastic career, and as I said, it's probably closer to the end than the start at the moment. And but I've had, you know, I've had some drama through the the period, and I think if you're in the media, that goes hand in glove with you know what you do for a job. Sometimes I've behaved uh, inappropriately. Uh, sometimes I've behaved appropriately and been described as behaving inappropriately. Um, you know, and I've probably, you know, uh, had a reflective life now at 65. I look back and think about, you know, things that have happened in life, things, you know, changes I've made in my life. And I get a bit uh, sentimental about the time when I was working those 10, those 10 years, seven days a week. And it was a really critical time for my children growing up. And uh, I regret to a certain extent uh, neglecting them. And uh, I'll explain that to them. They, they, they haven't raised it with me. They, they you know, just know I was working like many dads do. Um, but um, that's why it's really important to me spend as much time as I can with my grandchildren to, I guess, in some way, make up for what I missed out on with my own children. But uh, thankfully, they're all well-adjusted, normal, regular people holding down productive jobs uh, and uh, presenting me at this stage with two little grandchildren and Emma's living in the United States of America and uh, she's uh, an independent young woman and, you know, living her life as she sees fit and she's, she's you know, I'm equally proud of her and as I am Dan, Laura and Sarah. And uh, the baby Sarah is still at home with us at 22 and we're, we're going to be selling our property here sometime in the foreseeable future, get rid of the acreage and move to something a bit smaller. And Sarah told me she'll come with us. I said, how long do you think you'll stay? She said, till I'm 40. I said, well, I'll be well and truly gone by then. So <laughs> we'll be together for a lifetime, love. So anyway, I love having the kids around and uh, I love, you know, being part of their lives now. And uh, it, it's, it's just a really important part of my life now, my children and my grandchildren. Well, I guess that's, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean, you do talk about it, Ray. You don't go hard on yourself. I mean, there's plenty of truck drivers who drive trucks day and night, seven days a week. When their kids are at home small and mums are there getting them to school and doing the lunch thing and, you know, get them to sport and they're out driving trucks. I mean, when, it, it, it depends on what you do for a job. I mean, obviously, the thing I always got working with you, mate, and I was lucky enough I looked at it as a, a bit of a privilege. I mean, like, it, you, you, you went on air every day at 9 o'clock 
and it didn't matter what you felt like, what was happening in your world, what was happening in your life. You had to have your you got to have your A game on at nine mm. o'clock, and you know, obviously you know you got good people around you to make sure that happens. But at yeah. the end of the day, and the one other thing too is that you've never. You've never, uh, you know, hidden any shortcomings or dramas or things. You've shared your life with the listeners. This is probably why so many people tune in. It's, it's like they, everybody knows you. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a bit of an open book. Look, um, and by the way, little Belinda has just sent a note, Belle from work. Uh, she's a sweet girl, a beautiful mum, beautiful wife. Uh, I love her dearly, uh, Belinda. And she just sent a little text through while we're here saying, love you on with the duck live stream. Good on you, Bill. I'm sorry that one of the... Great regrets that I get to see you at work, darling, because you mm. cheer me up when I see your smiling face. Um, yeah, Doc, I think one of the things is about, um, and there have been some tough things that, um, you know, I've gone through. I'm not whinging. I mean, you know, no, you know, tough things are when your kids are really crook and, you you know, they're battling in hospital, you know, but there's things that happen in my life. And I've always taken the view that um, that's the most important time to stump up um, you know, I got attacked last year on all fronts over a number of matters and I just thought it was important, despite being under siege, to be there every day. Uh, when my young bloke hit hurdle a couple of years ago, um, I thought it was important to be there, uh, not to hide. Uh, I don't think hiding helps. Um, and um, I, it, look, I'm not suggesting I'm any less fragile than anyone else, but I, I just figure that um, it's important that I keep doing what I do for my own mental health. And uh, that way, you know, those who detract from what I do and what I say, um, well, I'm, st I'm there. Everything I do and say, I'll put my name to. Uh, other people who might anonymously attack you uh, on social media aren't courageous enough to put their names to it. Others are courageous enough to do it and, and don't like me for various reasons, and I cop that. It's part of being in the media. But um, I think if, you, if you're going to put your hand out and... Uh, attract a significant amount of money for what you do, um, you know, for your talents as a broadcaster, um, well, you owe it to yourself and to your listeners to stump up and to be there. Um, I've worked every public holiday um, for the last, well, probably the last 25 years because when I used to fill in for John Laws, I worked public holidays because John had those off. When I came to um, 2GB, Singo said to me, um, what about this public holiday caper? Are you going to start taking public holidays on? I said, no, I'm going to work. And he said, why? I said, well, Lawsy takes them off, so it might be an opportunity for people to come across and listen to me, and if they like what they hear, they might stay, or they might just come to me for that day and then go back to John. But I said, you know, I'm going to be here five days a week. And uh, obviously, you know, Anzac Day is tomorrow, and I won't be working because it's a Saturday, but whenever Anzac Day falls on a weekday, I work. I work Good Friday, I work Easter Monday, I work the Labor weekend. Obviously, I work uh, at the grand final on the Sunday night and stump up on the Monday morning as well. I just think um, your detractors might say, geez, I don't like that bastard, he's a rude, abrupt mongrel. Uh, and then someone will say in his defence, but God, he works hard. He, he's a, geez, he works hard. And um, if that's my legacy for all the people who either like me or dislike me as a broadcaster, uh, I don't think anyone could ever criticise my work ethic. And it's a, it's a thing that I've passed to my children. I'm, I'm very proud of the fact that they're similarly displaced. I mean, my four children are all very hard workers. Uh, their grandfather on my side of things was a hard worker. Uh, their grandmother on my side of things was a hard worker. And, and their mums also come from family, families of hard workers. Um, you know, people who, who stump up, who don't rely upon other people to uh, provide them with an income. 
And um, so I think that's part of the legacy that I'll leave. It's, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, what I do isn't rocket science. It's, it's you know, it's basically informing and entertaining people. That's what you've got to do. A bit hard to entertain them at the moment because of the coronavirus. You've got to try and keep up to date with all the things that are happening and going on in the world and talk to people about that. But um, I've been very fortunate. I've got no complaints. Uh, I mean, when I leave radio broadcasting, I'll leave radio broadcasting owing it a lot. Uh, a lot more than it is me, I can assure you. Um, mm. And the other thing is, like people say, oh, you know, you, you know, you've got to keep going. Look, some of the greatest radio broadcasters in this country have retired, and I can guarantee you, about a week after they go, no one gives them a second thought because someone else arrives on the scene to replace them and to go into the future. And I mean, I, I mean, I don't know going until I'm 75 or 76 or 77 or 78 or 80. Um, you know, I'm happy enough to pull up stumps sometime. Uh, when my contract's up in the next four years and, and disappear into the ether and let someone else have a crack. Um, as, you know, there's got to be succession plans and things like that, so that's what will happen into the future as well, I'm, I'm sure. Mm. And there are plenty of talented people in, waiting in the wings. They've got to get their chance sometime. Yeah. I've got to say to you, you've, made, <laughs> you've interviewed some uh, plenty of people. Uh, you can mm. pick up the phone of the Prime Minister, you can do all that, but you're, everyone who listens to you, they know you're a Seinfeld fan. Yeah. And... The interview where the bloke went from hero to zero in about three seconds from oh, Seinfeld. Michael Richards, Kramer. <laughs> Kramer. Oh. Well, he came out, they, they, they distributed a box set of Seinfeld. I've watched every Seinfeld episode oh, probably, well, I guess, four times minimum. When it comes on Fox now, there isn't one episode I haven't seen before, but I'll still watch it. So um, when Kramer was coming out, uh, and the publicist knew I was a fan and said, do you want to interview Michael Richards? And I said, I'd love to, absolutely love to. I'm a great fan of the show. And so I didn't need to do much research because I love the show and I watched the show. So he walked into the studio and he was pretty aloof. But, you know, sometimes people don't know what sort of person you are, so they want to, you know, have a yarn to you and warm to you. So I started talking to him and it was obvious that I was a fan. I knew about the show. I didn't have to research it because I knew all about it. And he was sort of sitting back in the chair and, you know, I thought, I don't think this bloke really wants to be here, not just in my studio, but in, in Australia promoting the box set. So I, I said to him one, one question, and, and it's a funny thing, the episode was on last night. I just happened to catch a glimpse of it. And it's the one when... Um, uh, Kramer um, and Newman are in court and uh, he's trying to get Kramer to tell the judge that, you know, there's a reason for Newman speeding. So it's a great episode and, you know, he, he, the ep episode revolves around Kramer, you know, wanted to be a banker and if he couldn't be a banker, he's going to do self-harm, and Newman's racing back in the car to save Newman from his own fate. So I thought that was a really funny episode. So I said to Michael Richards, I said, look, in, in this great, you know, series, what's the best episode do you think you've, you know, he looked across the table, he said, oh, he said, there's so many of them. He said, look, he said, we do little bits here and there, and then they put them all together, and he said, I wouldn't have a clue. What And I said, oh, so you don't know which is the fu funniest? No, no, he said, no. And he saw, I said, and so I asked him another question. He said, no, no, no. So I said, look, we're going to take a break. So I got out of my chair and I walked across the other side of the uh, studio and I said, uh, mate, he said, yeah. I said, you don't want to be here, do you? He said, no, nah, not really. 
I said, good, well, piss off, because I don't want you here either. <laughs> so he said, what? I said, piss off. I said, you're wasting my time, you're wasting my listeners' time. I said, you've come here, you're part of a very successful program, we're trying to give you a free plug for your box set, out you go. So he said, are you serious? I said, yeah, I'm serious. Go, see ya. Anyway, so uh, he walked out, and the publicist looked horrified, and uh, my producer at the time said, are you serious? I said, yeah. I said, I don't want the bloke here if he doesn't want to be here. I said, you know, we're travelling better than he thinks we're travelling if he thinks that, you know, the show's going to revolve around him. So um, even though I still love the program, I have absolutely no time for him as an individual, although I think he's a very funny character as Kramer. Um, unfortunately, the real Michael Richards is nowhere near as funny as Kramer. So, uh, yeah, that was, I mean, that was perhaps the most disappointing interview I've ever done because I was looking forward to it and uh, he just didn't want to participate in the interview and so we stopped the interview halfway through it and he went off. Yeah, unbelievable, really. I mean, <laughs> anyway, mate, we're having a lot of internet dramas tonight and we've taken up a bit of your time so we'll probably uh, cut her a bit short. Mate, I've got to thank you for everything you've ever done for me, mate. Personally, you know that. We've speak a lot privately and and everything, and uh, to work with you was certainly an experience. It was definitely an education, and, and uh, mate, I'll tell you what, we should have went into the internet business because we probably could have fixed up this a lot better than it, it has been tonight, which I don't understand why it's been stuffing up all night, but, oh, mate, no. it's the way it like is. I said, it is the worst thing that happens to us on this week, and we're travelling all right. I mean, I remember some young bloke telling me about this internet caper a long, long time ago and said, you've got to get into it. It's since I, I said, oh, it'll never work. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> How wrong was I? Although yeah. tonight it hasn't worked, but there you go. Yeah, well, mate, we've had any dramas. I reckon Har Adam Harvey's probably been out here hacking into the copper lines or whatever they are. We've got the NBA, but they won't come out and look it up yet. So, anyway, we'll try and fix that up. But, mate, I reckon, but, mate, thanks, mate, for, for coming on personally. I really appreciate you doing it. And, uh, and like I said, it's just a bit of a shit because we've been going pretty good here at this every Friday night. Just, we thought we'd do this because, you know, we're all staying home on a Friday. So we thought, you yeah. know, let's let's do it. Oh, it wasn't a bad idea. Yeah. And as you know, Ray, I'll be out there chasing up the sponsors for this little podcast oh, no, next week. <laughs> you are a very keen chaser. I wish I had a greyhound like you. Oh, do you remember yeah. we, we played that shed thing at the start, right at the start? Do you remember that other great segment, Duck for Cover? <laughs> Duck for Cover. Yeah. You know what? I've got to tell, uh, if, you're, if anyone's still out there in internet land, I've got to tell you, this bloke is the best rorter of all time. Oh, you're kidding, aren't you? <laughs> He would pull on a job and come up with these ideas and say, we should do this. And I always knew there was a reason. Either he was getting a sponsor and therefore declaring commission and getting the commission, or there was something doing in relation <laughs> to his tradie mates or his concrete and Benny. What about Benny? Before you go, Benny came out of your concreting, mate. He's moved on, hasn't he? Benny's not out of... No, that's right. Anymore. Yeah, he's moved. He's yeah. gone. Yeah, well, he, well he, he, he wanted to build a dog run. I just wanted a little dog run for my two pugs to, you know, get them out, out of the yard when we're mowing the lawn and stuff. I now have at the back of my place the most palatial dog shed anyone's ever seen. As a matter of fact, I mean, if ever I get kicked out of here, I'll be the first place I go, the dog shed. Oh, you found, and I remember he, all he was supposed to do was put a bit of concrete down. Next thing, there are walls. There's a tin roof to match the tin roof. Uh. When I got the bill, they had to administer ether to get me wallet open. Yeah, remember, remember, I said to you, you, do you go and like that colour bond ad and stand in the backyard in your undies and just stare at stare at the dog kennel? <laughs> yeah, if, 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 if people ask me what it costs, I said, oh no, not much. <laughs> I'm too embarrassed to tell them. But um, anyway, we can do this again one day when the yeah, end, the end yeah, we will, mate. Tomorrow. 
Well, what I'll do, Ray, well, we've still got a bit of audio happening. I think we have. Courtney's looking. Now, here we go in there, Buffett. We're back on. We've been going on and off. It's been a bit of drama. But, mate, thanks again, mate, for coming on. And I'll uh, no doubt give you a ring tomorrow and, and ask you how you think I went. <laughs> Doc, don't wait till tomorrow. You've gone shit out, so see you. <laughs> see you, mate. Uh, see you, mate. And there he is. Uh, our man, what a great bloke And uh, I've got to say to you it, It's been uh, very, very good working with Ray uh, All of these years And uh, we had a great time together And he was a very, very good teacher to me Look, very, very sorry We've got to apologise for the audio tonight The way things have been running It's been absolute up to shit Because uh, we've had some internet dramas out here And uh, that happened when I got Ray on I mean, <laughs> anyway As the way it is There's nothing that we can do about it We've got everything set up here as we normally do And uh, we tested everything a bit early as we do, we actually tested it twice, um, and everything was working perfect. And at and at uh, ten to seven, it was working, and then at, at about five to seven, it decided to shit itself. And we've had dramas with it all night since then. But we'll try and rectify that through the week. And uh, as Ray said, we'll try. We'll get him back on at some point, and uh, and have another yak to him. And uh, I'll, I'll, and thank you to him for uh, for spending the time to do it. And thank you for you for those of you who have tuned in. Again, apologies for the way the quality's been absolutely shit tonight, but. We'll try and uh, see if we can't fix that up through the week. It's obviously just an internet issue from what we can work out. I've actually, while I'm here doing this, I'm looking at a screen with uh, my mate Sean Walker up the Central Coast, logging in and fixing things. I can see the arrows working around. It's been a bit confusing, but it's all... Uh, anyway, it is what it is. And, I mean, at the end of the day, we're not a TV station here. We're just in the shed, you know. This is, this is Redneck Radio out here. We're just uh, in the shed trying to, you know, entertain you on a Friday night while there's not much else happening. So, uh, but, but, so apologies for that. And for that... Those of you that have stuck in with us and uh, and listened to it and gone through that poor quality, really do thank you for that. For all the messages, the emails that people have sent through the week as well, really do appreciate that. As um, keep them coming. You can interview us through the week on bluecollarmedia.com.au. Just click on the contact button there, and uh, and certainly we'll reply to all those emails. Um, a little bit ordering tonight, but a great guest and a great bloke, and uh, I'm sure you agree with me. If you didn't know who Ray Hadley was before tonight, you certainly do now and he's a real normal bloke and I can attest to that because uh, like I said before the, uh, the program when we started we've been pretty good mates for a long time and, uh, and I'm really wrapped that he came on and had a chat to you but like we say that is the Shed podcast this week albeit a little bit ordinary with audio and visual and things freezing up but unfortunately I'm no tech guru uh, but anyway we'll fix it up for next week thanks for sticking by us and we uh, Join us next Friday night when we do it all again. See you then. Think about the things this woman said. Yeah, all